Hey, the entrepreneur and happy December. If you haven't had a chance to check out our prior two episodes of the month, believe me, they are wonderful gifts that you don't want to miss out on. We're talking about the gift of balance and breath, as well as a thriving workplace. This week, we're hitting fun. Next week, we're hitting the gift of failure and triumph. We have some absolutely amazing guests. So again, if you haven't had a chance to go back, make sure you check those out. But for right now, I'm jumping in with the ridiculously fun Catherine Price. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. entrepreneur and welcome to today's show. We are keeping with the holiday spirit and today we are bringing you the gift of fun. Today's guest has been dubbed the Marie Kondo of brains by the New York times. She is an award-winning science journalist and speaker, and she is the author of two books. The first one that I'm going to mention is coming out in December, and we will have all the information for you on that one. And it is called the power of fun, how to feel alive again. And her other book, which you should also pick up is called how to break up with your phone. And now I'm going to give you a website folks that you're going to want to go visit because she's also the creator and founder of ScreenLifeBalance.com, which you're going to want to go see because it's dedicated to helping you scroll less and live more. So Catherine, thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, tis the season, man, we need more fun in our lives. And then we also need to break up with our phones. All of the things that you preach, I'm a big fan of. So let's jump right in about things. You know, I was reading the, the advanced praise. So congrats on a lot of that. And, and I saw Adam Grant's quote on this delightful book might just be what we need to start flourishing. And I couldn't agree more as I read through it. Um, but give us a little bit more background, you know, about your life. What sparked your first book, how to break up with your phone. And then, you know, what inspired you to, to jump in the fun arena? My first book, How to Break Up with Your, or the first book that you're referring to, How to Break Up with Your Phone, was inspired by a personal experience I had with my daughter, where she was born in 2015. And as a side note, like I have, I have a background in mindfulness and try to be a self-aware person. But I had this moment with my daughter where I was feeding her in the middle of the night, and I had this out-of-body experience where I could see the scene as if I were outside my own body looking in, and I saw this dark room with this woman sitting there with her baby and the baby was looking up at her mother's face and her mother was looking down at her phone. Yeah. And that made my heart sink. I just was devastated because I knew that was not the impression I wanted her to have of a human relationship. And it was not how I wanted to live my own life. So it was really a wake up moment for me, <laughs> despite the fact that I was like yeah. falling asleep in the moment where I, I decided that I wanted to do something about it. I wanted to change. I didn't want that to be how I was spending my time or interacting or not interacting with my daughter. Yeah. And I also realized that at that point in 2015, 2016, 
there was beginning to be, be a little bit more of an awareness that there were negative effects of uh, our relationships with our smartphones and technology, but there wasn't a good guide for what to do about it. And it wasn't, right. it wasn't as, at all as much of the conversation as it is now. So I decided that I would write a book about it. My previous book had been about the history of vitamins and that was sparked by just a curiosity about nutrition and my own experience living with type one diabetes, which I was diagnosed with when I was 22. So this was like my new personal issue that I decided to turn into a professional project. So I ended up writing How to Break Up Your Phone, um, which uh, I love this cover. This was the- I do too, it's great. Yeah, the text bubbles. But I wrote How to Break Up With Your Phone, which combines a look at the science of what our phones and our devices are doing to us and how they're designed to hook us. It combines that with a 30 day plan to take back control. So that's what How to Break Up With Your Phone is about. But what I realized personally is that that really was only the first step. So the motto I came away with when I wrote How to Break With Your Phone is our lives are what we pay attention to, yeah. with the idea being that we only experience what we pay attention to, we only remember what we pay attention to, and that means anytime we make a decision in the moment about how to spend our attention, we're actually making a much broader decision about how we want to spend our lives. So that was really meaningful to me, and it has helped guide my own personal decisions in my life. But what I realized is that once you quote, break up with your phone, which to clarify, I don't mean dumping your phone and not having no. your phone anymore, no. but rather having a healthier relationship with technology, you're gonna end up with a lot of time because you're going to reclaim the minutes and hours that we each fritter away on our phones each day. And what I realized is that I had lost sight of what I wanted to do with that. So my husband and I had gotten in this practice, which I recommend that people try for themselves because it's really interesting and actually quite rejuvenating and um, useful of taking 24 hour breaks from our screens from Friday nights to Saturdays Great. as kind of a digital Sabbath. And there was this, this one Saturday where I was actually sitting in the, I can see my couch right from where I'm speaking to you. <laughs> yeah. where I was sitting on the couch and our daughter was napping and my husband was out doing some errand and I was sitting here on, alone thinking I've got a whole hour in front of me. I can do whatever I want to with this hour. How amazing, like how often do you have that in early parenthood? And I couldn't think of a single thing that I wanted to do. My mind was totally drawing a blank. Didn't have a book I wanted to read. I didn't have a hobby I wanted to do, nothing. And so I quickly started to catastrophize and I decided that meant I was really just waiting to die. And uh, it freaked out. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's not how I want to live my life. Just yeah, yeah. Die. So I asked myself this question that I'd been posing to people when I was researching how to break up with your phone. And the question was, what's something you always say you want to do, but you supposedly don't have time for? And my answer to that question was, well, I always say I want to learn how to play guitar. My grandmother gave me money to buy a guitar in college. She played guitar herself. I was really close to her. I've played piano since I was a child. So I have a musical background, never gotten around to playing the guitar. And then I remembered I'd seen a flyer in my neighborhood for this children's music studio where there actually were adult classes, these BYOB super casual adult classes. And so I signed up for one when I was back online and I started going to this class and it was so interesting. It was, as I said, very casual group of other adults, mostly parents. We definitely learned how to play the guitar, but I realized that I was experiencing this energy and this sense of exuberance that could not possibly just be due to the fact that I now knew how to play more chords. Like there was right. something bigger yeah. going on. And I, and I noticed also that the effects of the class lingered for days afterwards. I felt happier and more energized and more alive just as a result of this hour and a half 
with these adults I barely knew playing an instrument none of us were particularly good at for no yeah. purpose. And I asked myself, well, what is this feeling? And I realized as I thought about it, oh, it's fun. Like what I'm <laughs> experiencing is fun. And I had a pretty, and I have a great life. Like I, I am quite happy and content with my life. And I was having fun, but I hadn't thought about it in this way. And I wasn't having enough of it. And as soon as I pinpointed the experience I was having as fun, I became obsessed with trying to figure out what is that? Like, yeah. what is fun? How can I have more of it? And then the science journalists to me became very curious about, well, what is it actually doing to me? So I, I, as I just mentioned, gotten really interested in the effects that our interactions with our devices are having on us. And in many cases, those effects are quite negative, like way more than we even realize. Yeah. And I became curious about whether or not fun might actually be the antidote to all of those negative effects. And that where uh, the things we do on our screens are bringing us down and raising our stress levels in ways that are negatively impacting our physical health, could fun be doing the exact opposite? So all that is to say that launched me on a new project, which is the book you're talking about, The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive Again. And similar to my last book, it combines a look at the science of fun and exploration of what it is and what it does to us. It combines that with a plan for how each of us can actually have more of it. And I, I'm so excited this book is coming out. I'm so excited to share it with the world. And I truly believe that fun can change our lives and the world for the better. So I'm so excited to get to talk to you about it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I am digging into it right now and it's, it's making me so excited as I'm going through it. And I love that story that you describe around that one hour, because I'm sorry, listeners, how many of you have done that where you're sitting? I know I have, I probably just did it yesterday where you're sitting there and it's almost like, and I like how you catastrophized it too, because I would, I'm with you on that one too, but with this power of fun, you know, you even went a step beyond that to give it its own label right? Because there is just kind of like fun, like we hear about self-care, let's go get a massage. But then there's this other category of fun, like you described that really is rejuvenating. And like you come out of it feeling like a different person almost. So tell us more about kind of what that concept is. Well, one of the things I realized when I was researching the book is that despite how often we use the word fun in our, our everyday lives, there's actually not a really good agreed upon definition of the term, right? It's some, I mean, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's things like lighthearted pleasure. It's yeah. like, okay, fair enough. But that, or there's some really great ones, jollification, I guess that's a word. And then one I found, this has to be British. It was the synonym for fun was beer and Skittles. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what right? It's like, not American. Just, it made no sense. But, you know, I mean, if you're having beer and Skittles as the best synonym for a word, you know, know. it's not a very well-defined awesome. word. Yeah. And at first I freaked out about that because it's like, okay, I'm writing a book about a word that no one's defined. And then I realized, ooh, that's an interesting opportunity. Like what yeah. is fun? Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned, my, my pre, one of my previous books was about vitamins. And the reason that came about is my husband one day turned to me out of the blue and goes, what's a vitamin? And I tried to answer him. And all I could think was vitamin C, scurvy, and like <laughs> yes. the history of it, where it came from. Yeah. yeah, but that was like all I had. And he's like, you should write a book about it. So it was a similar thing. I'm like, ooh, this is really interesting. And then I came to realize that the fact that we don't have a good definition of it has had some unintended consequences. One is that there's really not scientific research about fun. You got a lot about happiness and joy, these other concepts that are equally nebulous, but that yeah. people have put more work into nailing down a definition for, and therefore they've actually researched. Not so with fun. So that's fascinating to me. I mean, I was looking up, trying to find a 
you know, research about fun on PubMed. And one of the top hits was an article about toenail fungus. <laughs> I remember that fun in the book. And fungi. And I was like, not the kind of fun I'm talking about. No. But then the other thing I realized is that our lack of a solid definition leaves us vulnerable to any marketer that wants to market their products to us as fun because we haven't yeah. thought about it. Exactly. And so we're like, oh, you told me that social media is fun. So I guess I'll spend all of my leisure time scrolling through pointless memes and things on other people's feeds that actually yeah. make me feel bad about myself, but it's fun. Yeah. Or like you're saying, things that truly are rejuvenating or restorative, like getting a massage or taking a bath or you know, reading curled up in bed, but are not necessarily fun. So all that is to say, I started to really try to hone in on what is this feeling that I'm getting in my guitar class. And I came up with a hypothesis that I then ran by what I called the fun squad, which was this group of about, well, I don't even know how many people it is now, but it was like about 1500 people who signed up via my newsletter list to help me out with this experiment. And I asked them a question that I encourage your listeners to try as well, which was to call to mind three experiences from their own lives that they would describe as having been truly fun where fun was the dominant descriptor. So if I asked you to tell me about it, you would say that was so fun. I had so in capital letters. Yeah. And, and I didn't propose my definition. I had three, I had them each give me three examples of that. And then also an example of something they would like to plan for the future that would qualify as so fun. And I did that because I was doing this in the midst of lockdowns, like right in the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. Yes. So it was kind of depressing to think back on fun and think I can't do that now. But anyway, yeah. And then only after that did I actually propose my definition to them and said, would this apply to what you just described? And my proposed definition is that fun is the confluence of three emotional states, playfulness, connection, and flow. So whenever we are in a state of playful, connected flow, that's what I would argue is when we were having what I call true fun. And I call it true fun to distinguish it from what I call fake fun, which is this the activities marketed to us as fun, but that actually leave us feeling hollow and vacant and empty after we do them or gross about ourselves. They're kind of the junk food of fun. That's the fake fun. <laughs> That's a very the good way to fun leaves us feeling rejuvenated and restored and refreshed and energized and indeed feeling alive, which I think all of us could use more of right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it just, I like that. Well, number one, I love the fact that you wrap the science into it because I you know, I've seen a lot of different books on joy and happiness and all of these other topics, right? But there's not the science to back it up, which I am a very big fan of, um, which sparks the question, you know, what's fun versus happiness then, right? Happiness is such a nebulous word. Um, so give us kind of your, your two cents on that, because I think they, there needs to be a distinction, right? Well, yes, I completely agree because we all want to be happier, but Right. As I think I say in the book, you know, saying we want to be happier or even have more fun. It's like, okay, how do you do that? You know, like I know yeah. how to have a croissant or I know how to have <laughs> yeah, step by know, step coffee date, but like, how do I have more fun or how do I become happier? And one thing I love about the idea of fun is it's much more concrete to me than happiness is. But when we are having fun, I would argue we are universally happy in our moments of fun, we're happy. And yeah. so what I came to conclude is that the path to happiness lies in the everyday pursuit of fun. And the more you can prioritize fun and note it when it happens and make it a point to build more of it into your life, the happier you will end up being without right. aiming directly at happiness. Yeah. So yeah. that's why the second half of the book is very much devoted to answering the question of how do you actually have more fun? But someone made a point to me when I was writing the book that I thought was very interesting. He said, 
you know, if you ask me if I'm happy, it's going to, it's going to be very difficult for me to answer. Like that's a whole conversation, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is happiness? Yeah. Am I happy? How going to be, it just becomes philosophical very quickly. But if I say, Hey, did you have fun last weekend? Yeah. You probably could tell me like, yes you just no. know you, right. And so it's much more tangible to me. And I also think it's much more, once you, once you drill down in the way that I try to do in the book and actually have techniques that you can use to invite more fun into your life, you can't guarantee you're going to have fun because it is also an emotional nebulous state that could just run away. You can do things that are like, oh, I can set the stage for fun. And then you can know, rest assured that if you do end up having fun, or even if you, even if you achieve any of those three states, if you have mo- more moments of playfulness, or if you have more moments of human connection, or if you find yourself in more moments of flow, which is defined as the state of being so engrossed in whatever it is you're doing that you actually lose track of time. It's a really active yeah. and engaged state. Then you're probably also going to be closer to being happy without having to obsess over happiness. So I've found for me that just my personal pursuit of fun has resulted in me being happier, but I no longer obsess over whether I'm happy or not yeah. because I just am <laughs> yeah, happy. Because it's just a state of being, being, yeah. right? Like it's the, yes. it's the result of the things that you just described. And I think there's one point in the book where you, you speak about kind of a situation where were you, you were biking like over mountains and all crazy places. And you said, I didn't think I would find it there because you were exhausted. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that's where that kind of connectedness, the playfulness, the intersection of things kind of happens too, right? Yeah, I think there's lots of moments where we might have what seems like an uncomfortable or unpleasant experience in the moment, but that if you reflect on it actually did have elements of fun. So to back up a bit, one suggestion I I give to people in terms of how to begin to have more fun is to recognize the moments that may already exist in your life that you're just not actually labeling and therefore you're not appreciating and you're not benefiting from as much as you could be. Because for my own life, I found this to be true. When I was writing the book, I was focusing very much on what I think of as peak fun experiences. These these life-changing or no moments that you'll remember for the rest of your life of fun because they were so fun. But then I realized, wait, that's setting the bar pretty high. Yes, I want to aim for those moments, but I actually am having a lot of moments, even during the pandemic, of playfulness, connection, or flow. And sometimes they're occurring independently. Sometimes they're happening just with two of them, like playful flow or, or flow and connection. And sometimes they're happening, all three of them together in context I would never think of. And if I actually label them, I began to become curious, would that make a difference in my perception of my own life? And I found, yes, it actually really does. So um, what you were talking about is an experience I had in college where, or after college, where I did a 63-day bike trip where we, grew, we bicycled across the whole United States. I hitchhiked a lot. Let's yeah. be. <laughs> I was gonna say, that's a lot of miles. <laughs> a lot of miles. A lot of miles. But you know, it was grueling. We biked over the Rockies. I mean, yeah. And across all sorts of other mountain ranges because America and also America tilts upwards. If you go east to west, yeah. don't do it that way. It's all uphill. Kansas yeah. is actually all uphill if you go in that. You Hence think the hitchhiking, high. folks. Hence and the hitchhiking. Hitchhiking. But, you know, it was a time before cell phones, right before cell phones. So we all were just present. It was 30 people. It was some of my closest friends. We had no goals other than to get to our destination. And we had a lot of downtime and everyone had a good sense of humor. We were connected. We certainly were in flow. We were present with one another and we were all very playful. And if I look back on that every day, I laughed every single day. And I think that actually laughter is a very good sign that you're having fun. If you're having genuine laughter, not laughing at someone else, but real 
and you can tell when people are having fun, I think is the other thing I've noticed. If you look at photos of people, you can tell when they're having fun. And to me, at least there's something very joyful about it, but there's also something that makes my, like my tears come to my eyes because it really, you see people in their best selves just being exuberant. Um, But anyway, just one example of like a moment that I did not expect to be fun. Once I started reflecting on it, I had to get a cortisone shot for my shoulder because I was having shoulder issues. And I'd had a bad experience with the radiologist for an MRI. This was just horrible. Like there was like dye exploding off like out of the skin. I was like, please don't let it be that guy. It has to be the guy. It's that pen. There's a lot. Anyway, same radiologist walks in and I'm oh, like, gosh. And he starts to introduce himself to me again. I'm like, we've met before. And it turned into this absurd experience that was indeed physically uncomfortable. But there was something so absurd about it. And I did feel connected with the three people, the radiologist, these assistants in the room. And I was certainly in flow. And I left and I was like, you know what? I actually think I just had fun. That was objectively (laughs) unpleasant, but I had fun. And it made me think and and realize that if we start to look for it in the same way that we currently look for things that upset us, there's actually way more positive things or opportunities to put a positive spin on experiences we're already having, which all is to say that in addition to seeking out these moments of peak fun, that we can talk about ways to, you know, set the stage for, it's also really worth just paying attention to your daily life to see what's already there. And I actually recommend people keep what I call a fun times journal, where you reflect at the end of the day, perhaps during some of the time you're currently spending scrolling through your phone on moments that you had a playfulness or connection or flow or two of them. And if all three happen, circle it because you were probably having true fun. And then notice like, where were you? What were you doing? Who are you with? Right? Because those can give you hints of other things to try. I call the, those your personal fun magnets, the things that yeah. each of us, our collection of activities, people and settings that are most likely to put each of us into this state of playful connected flow. Yeah, no, I like, I like the mindfulness piece of it, right? Like once you start to kind of have these, these parameters around it, once you start to notice it more, it reminds me of gra- gratitude practice, kind of same thing where you start noticing it more, identifying it more, and then you, it's automatically kind of comes into your life. And it's not to your earlier point, something that's architected for us or spoon fed to us, it is something that's in our control. And I think, you know, what you said about being able to see it on other people, you know, is, is such a strong point because we all can relate to that. We all can relate to those moments where of, you know, looking at a picture and seeing just that freeness about somebody, which would you kind of consider kind of that you know, that, you know what I'm speaking about with, would, would that kind of be in like the flow state of things, like having the kind of that free airiness where you're not thinking and you're just kind of more doing. Yes. I think that's definitely indicative of flow, but in the photographs, it's, it's more than that. Cause it's just yeah. this, the, I mean, it's the playful connected part as well. And as you're speaking, I'm just thinking it's really interesting because none of the photographs I'm referring to were things I saw on social media. For no, example. no. Right. That you can tell, you just can tell in the vast majority of situations on social media that it's not really genuine because most of the time when people are truly having fun, they're not taking not pictures thinking of it. it. No, it's normally like someone else happened to capture it on camera and you look mm-hmm. at it. Like, for example, I've started, this is shocking to me because this is not anything I thought I would do, but it's a result <laughs> of my pursuit of fun. I've started playing the drums at open and I've, I even have my drum pad next to us on the table. Michelle. That's awesome. And, um, <laughs> and playing at open mics with some of my music classmates, because that one decision to take that guitar class has introduced me to this whole community of people I never otherwise would have met. And you, yeah, like if you look at the pictures of us at these open mics, 
you can tell. And actually there was a picture yeah. that actually a friend of mine did take at the last open mic that we were sending to a classmate who wasn't able to be there at night. And it is actually a selfie that this guy took, but it's in this moment where, I mean, I just keep calling this photo up on my phone to look at again and again, because if you look at us in this picture, you can tell we are yeah. so happy. It evokes the emotion. Having, yeah, true yeah. fun. And it's, it's just so obvious. So I, I don't really know what the point is other than to say like, okay. you'll know it when you see it. And when yeah. you see it, I just encourage everyone to look for it because even just seeing someone else have true fun can make you feel a little bit more alive yourself and make you want to feel that for yourself too. So I think it's really, I guess that goes to my broader point that I think there truly is power in fun and that it can bring us closer to other people, people we already know and love but also total strangers. And in this age of, you know, polarization and just people getting divided into tribes, I think that it's more important than ever to really tap into forces that can remind us that fundamentally we are all human beings who yeah. want the same things and who yeah. deserve to feel alive. And it's really, I don't yeah. know. Really it's, a, it's another common denominator, right? Because I think you see a lot of times, like you just said, those common things that divide us, right? And put us into those tribes and put us into those groups, right? But fun or love or, you know, certain, certain things are also common denominators across us all. But what you're, what you're describing to me also kind of brings up you know, I was taught, I was taught because I have a theater degree, you know, so I did a lot of work in the arts, but the arts for political purposes or economic development purposes. And they always taught about the tie around evoking emotion, right? And, you know, fun just seems in the way that you've just, you know, the way that you've defined it to be just another criteria to see myself in you, for you to see yourself in me, to evoke those, those common emotions like we were just talking about, which is just an absolutely beautiful thing, right? I mean, what, what harm could happen of any of this? None, <laughs> right? It's, this is so beautiful about fun, I think, is that most of the time when we try to do self-improvement efforts, they require some degree of self-restraint or willpower. Yeah, or yeah. boundary, yeah. I'm gonna eat more healthily. I'm going to exercise more. I'm gonna meditate yeah. every day for 20 minutes. But fun is like going on a diet where the whole point is to eat more of the foods you love. You know, yeah. the challenge is identifying those foods, making space for them, but then binge, like, please, do, you know, it, yeah. And you make me think in terms of fun's power to connect us with other people, just of an anecdote or a story I'd recently experienced myself as I was asked to be on this um, podcast, The Happiness Lab with um, yeah. Mary Santos yeah. <laughs> and we're staging what we call the fun intervention. And there was this very funny moment where she invited me to do it. She really loves sing-alongs. This was one of her, her fun magnets. <laughs> it's kind of like karaoke, but you're not performing. You're all just yeah. singing along. That's I mean, great. It was, and, she, and she invited me to do this with her. And I was like, I have to say yes, because I'm supposedly the fun person, right? But wait, we're going to do what? We're going to sit in your brightly lit living room, just the two of us, because it's and sing. And we're going to sing and you're going to record it for your podcast. Oh my God. But then I'm like, I, I have to say yes. So she's like, do you mind if I turn down the lights? I'm like, no, I don't mind. Turn down the light. Please turn on the light. <laughs> put me in the <laughs> dark. <laughs> yeah. Put me in the dark. And she's got this playlist of like 30 songs, like so many songs, you know, and I'm just thinking, oh my God. But then I took a deep breath and she starts playing the first song and it was Toto's Africa. That song. Oh gosh, that's and, awesome. You know, I hear the drums echoing tonight. And I was like, I took a breath and I started singing. And as soon as the first words came out of my mouth, I was like, I am having so much fun. Yeah. This is yeah. so fun. Like she had to kick me out. We had to switch laptops to get an extra playlist. And I bring that up <laughs> because it's like, 
we had a perfectly nice relationship before that, you know, friendly relationship, but we're like friends now because we shared two and a half hours of belting out like eighties hits and nineties boy bands together and losing ourselves in this fun that I, I don't think that any kind of team building exercise we possibly could have done would have had the same result as just being willing to both go all in, like lose our self-consciousness yeah. and have this fun experience together. That's just absolutely, that's absolutely amazing. And now I have just so many cool visuals and like, I'm envisioning you having that level of fun, which is another level of connection, right? Yeah, so she was like, do you want an inflatable microphone or an inflatable guitar? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God, like I, I cannot, I am not good at charades. I am not playing an air guitar. Do not give me that guitar. I'll take the microphone. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> But and now I'm like, oh, it's like, actually, wait, Michelle, this is so fun. This is a thumb drive. And I don't know if you can see it says yeah, yeah. sing along on it because she gave this to me afterwards <laughs> so I could have the songs. And this is a treasured possession now. This yeah. is fun in a yeah. thumb drive. I know, right? And the, But imagine if you could bottle it like that, number one. <laughs> right? It would be the highest selling commodity on the planet, probably. We would like, you know, outsell so many of their um, non-optimal things to be selling yeah, we'll say right now. out there, bottle fun. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I think also, you know, one point that you kind of just spoke about was that fear that happens before the fun moment, right? Because we get stuck. And I see this a lot of times when I ask clients, like, well, what's your definition of your ideal life? And they look at me like deers and deer in headlights, like they forget they have a choice, right? So there's all, sometimes it's going to be that fear, right? You must've seen like before people jump into fun, like what you just described, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to puke before I get up and sing, you know, in a sing-along, you know, that kind of thing. So how do you recommend people deal with that? I think it's two things. I think the first thing is that we legitimately don't know what even to think of doing. So that's the first challenge. Well, yes, and agreed, I that agreed. all the time from people. I don't even mm-hmm. remember how to have fun anymore. I mean, the same thing I was yeah. facing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you get wrapped up in your adult responsibilities and fun gets to the bottom of the priority list. Or if you yeah. have kids, maybe yeah. you prioritize their fun. You're arranging play dates for them. You're taking them to birthday parties, but you're just standing around on the sidelines having awkward small talk with other parents or maybe checking your phone, you know, or like doing answering work emails while they're off yeah. tap dancing. That's not fun. That's, <laughs> so I think that's not, fun. <laughs> not fun. So I think the first step is to, to set aside some undistracted time, which probably is going to require putting your phone away to actually ask yourself, what did you, you know, what did you love to do when you were a kid? What's mm-hmm. something that you supposedly want to do, but always say you don't have time for, because guess what? We're spending an average of four hours a day on our phones. That was before yeah. the pandemic. And granted, some is for work, but a lot of that is not. So there's yeah. actually more time than we think. Um, and then, you know, think big and small. Maybe there's something new you'd like to try. Novelty is a great conduit for fun. But yeah. maybe there's also just things that might not lead to the full-on state of playful, connected flow that I referred to. Because normally that does require human connection, even for introverts, which is, side note, also fascinating. Yeah. But maybe you, you have hobbies that you haven't set aside time for in a long time, or passions or interests or something you want to learn more about. You know, just asking mm-hmm. yourself, what are you interested in? And then also what makes you feel joyfully alive? So you got to have some ideas for that. And again, that's why I recommend that you write down three experiences from your past that did match that description and also start to track playfulness, connection and flow in your everyday life. Cause that's when you can start get, getting a sense of what are these themes that emerge? So for yeah. Lori Santos, for example, she doesn't play an instrument and she said she never would have thought that music would be a thing for her. But when she started to go through her past experiences of true fun, there was a musical theme 
that emerged. There were music involved in nearly all of them. And she was really surprised by that. And that's what led her to you know, suggest a sing-along with me. And then getting to your question, to the second part of your question, once you realize that it can seem scary, right? Because yeah. I think for several reasons, one is adults, actually, let me back up. There's a great book by Tom Vanderbilt called Beginners. And it's about mm -hmm. the importance of trying new things. Yeah. And he just talks about how he joins a choir as part of this book. And he just talks about how, you know, if you're a third grader and you're singing a solo and you're not very good at it, there's kind of, there's an acceptance. Yeah. <laughs> not when you're an adult. There. Yeah. You go up as an adult and you are bad at something and people are like really feeling very uncomfortable for you. Yeah. It's just yeah. really different. So it, so we're less forgiving of ourselves and of other people as adults when we're not good at something, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do stuff. I think that yeah. there's real empowerment that comes from not caring if you're good and letting go of perfectionism. And I would also say that one of the many unattended side effects and consequences of social media is that it's made that even worse where yeah. we are looking at other people's supposedly perfect lives. We're looking at them do things perfectly. I mean, if I were to watch YouTube videos of five-year-olds playing piano, I'm sure I'd feel horrible about myself because right. there's a lot of prodigies out there. And also no one posts anything to YouTube of their first try or when they exactly. stop. Yeah. So there's a lot of fake, <laughs> like quote unquote, evidence of people doing that are better than us. So it's really yeah. easy to feel inferior. And we also are naturally less likely to be willing to go out on a limb as adults because it's less accepted and encouraged, but there's such freedom in it. And I think finding contexts in which you feel okay, not being perfect and not being an expert is incredibly important. And for me, that's what this musical community has been. You know, I would never want to perform anything if I thought that it actually mattered. If like I was trying to do a concert or a recital or whatever, I'd yeah. probably, but doing something where it's low key and I know that I'm with friends and that we're all just doing it for fun allows me to feel free and to enjoy myself. And I just, I guess I would say if anyone's kind of on the edge and not sure whether they should try it, it is worth it. You know, yeah. do something little, like start small. You don't have to do something hugely dramatic. And Tom Vanderbilt makes a really interesting point, I think also in his book and in interviews I've heard him, him, on, him give, where he says that it is, as adults will say things like, like for example, for me, I'm not a drummer. Yeah. You know, oh Absolute. yeah, I never learned to, yeah, yeah. I never learned to yeah. play know, the flute, right? And it's like, and one thing I've got a six-year-old, we always say to her is to put a dot, 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 yet on the end of these things. Yeah. You know, I can't do blot yet. And yeah. it's like, okay, so I don't, I'm not an excellent drummer yet. But first of all, who mm -hmm. says I have to be excellent? Exactly. And second, why did I just say that I, I'm not, I'm not that, like, that's not part of my identity. Why can't yeah. I change my identity in my forties? Like, why is that not a thing? Yeah. So that I think has been another side effect, a positive side effect of fun for me is opening up this world of possibilities of things I can do and try and just not caring about how good I am. Cause that's not the point. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, as an adult, like let's think about how many things we do where we're not driving to some sort of desired outcome, right? Like, I mean, they're very few and far between when you think about it, right? Like we're either going to a park to create our kids' memories, right? Like we're, we're planning vacations for like, which are actually trips when you're a parent, not a vacation. Um, you know, so there's all these different things that are kind of always have an outcome or always goal oriented, especially for folks who are overachievers, right? So just being able to, I mean, I know for myself, just being able to do something for the sake of doing it does scare the crap out of me, right? Like, and it makes me super uncomfortable, but I like the fact that you couple it with look back first, 
and just remember what that felt like, because we do get locked and loaded in our lives, right? Like it's almost like there's an invisible line where you're like, oh, you've reached this certain point. You're not allowed to change anything, move anything or make any other decisions. You're now on autopilot go. Right. Like right. Just, that's, that itself is scary. Even more I mean, scary. Honestly, that means you're dead. Like, well, right. <laughs> like, yeah, means, you're never going to change. You're never going to try anything new. Like this is the last version yeah. of yourself you're ever going to be. I don't want to live like that. No. I want to be constantly changing and growing and experiencing and feeling alive. And for me, that's yeah. trying new things. And sometimes they're disasters. Like <laughs> just this morning, I was reflecting on this improv comedy class I took when I was in my twenties. Cause I, I, I kind of compulsively say yes to things. <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't get embarrassed easily. That class was so bad. So bad. I can get embarrassed <laughs> 20 years ago. I am embarrassed to think about it now, but I mean, it was totally worth it. Right. Like I don't want to yeah. do it again. It took me a long time to realize I didn't have to do it again. Cause my instinct was, Oh, I better double down and try more. Yeah, exactly. Classes. Get it right. <laughs> didn't get it right. I didn't get yeah. an A in that. But no, you know, so you might have an embarrassing experience, but you'll have had an experience instead of just like looking through other people's fake experiences on their phones. But you made me think of something in terms of, you know, giving ourselves permission or how strange it can feel to do something just for ourselves is that um, as part of my book in the second half, I have this acronym called or or this system I call SPARK, how to spark fun. And the R in SPARK stands for rebel. And the idea is that many of our fun moments happen in times when we do something that's a little bit out of what mm-hmm. we think we're supposed to be doing. Because yeah. when I started looking through the anecdotes that were shared with me by this fun squad, by the people who were helping me research the book, there was this theme of this playful rebellion, just slight deviance where they would do something a little bit out of the ordinary, you know, not like steal a car or, <laughs> or no, you know, like, like hey, have a late bedtime. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not, yeah, exactly. exactly. It also made me realize, oh man, grownups are really lame because it would be yeah. like two hours late talking to a friend, and it's like, exactly. oh, wow, that's really sad. But <laughs> but it made me realize that just doing some things that are slightly out of the ordinary or slightly go against what's quote expected of us, or just yeah. allowing like our inner playful spirit out, that feeling of playful deviance actually adds to the fun. And I think there's yeah. many. Op, you know, opportunities for us to incorporate more of that into our daily lives. And one of my favorite examples of that, that I do all the time myself, is that at some point in the past five years, let's not say when, but I decided that listening to the news was just stressing me out mm-hmm. too much. Me too. Yep. Want, yeah. And I didn't want, no I didn't want my daughter to listen to it. I just didn't want to be listening to the news. So I actually stopped listening to the news. Nothing bad has happened as a consequence of this. And instead, when I'm alone in the car in particular, I put on music that I really want to sing along to. Yeah. Like I got a lot of Hamilton things going on, right? Me too, and me I, too. <laughs> this morning I was trying to yodel. I was listening to Hank Williams and I spent I spent a good 25 minutes just driving around Philadelphia trying to yodel to Long Gone Lonesome Blues. And That's dear amazing. God, I hope that there wasn't a secret recording device in my car. But my point is that like, that was totally for myself yeah. and not what a quote, well, normal or responsible adult might do for 20 minutes in their right. middle of their Tuesday. But it was fun. Like I enjoyed that moment. So I, I guess what I'm saying is seek out little moments where you can do something that makes you feel self-indulgent because self-indulgence is really important for us actually. Yeah. But if, it's, if you feel like a teensy bit naughty about it, chances are it will also feel a little bit fun. So that's one of my right. favorite tips for incorporating more fun into your life. 
Yeah. Which is, I mean, that is fantastic. We can all do it. I think I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board with the not listening to the news thing. Right. Um, I'm a, I'm guilty of listening too many, listening to too many educational things, right? Like I want to teach myself something and I want to maximize every moment that I'm in a car, but to your point, yeah, Hamilton is kind of my go-to on that too. <laughs> well, that, that reminds me actually of something someone from the fun squad said in one of the survey responses, she said, you know, as a result of doing this experiment with you, I've started thinking about what I use my leisure time for and what, how it makes me feel. And she said, I noticed that I have a tendency to pack my schedule with these things I I've labeled for myself as quote fun. Yeah. But when I really think about it, they're not fun. I'm doing like educational stuff, like attending lectures or yep. yeah, going to talks or listening to podcasts that educate me in some way. And there's certainly a value in that, but it isn't quite classified as fun. And she said, I was wondering why I had been feeling so stressed out and overwhelmed. And then I, and then once I realized that actually I was classifying these things the wrong way, it really freed up the opportunity for me to make space for true fun and still do those other things, but in moderation and not yeah. feel bad about why she wasn't feeling really excited about them. Because in reality, it was self-improvement efforts. It wasn't right. kind of just giving herself opportunities for fun. Self-improvement right. can be fun too, but it, it was an interesting discussion. No, and it, because I think a lot of the times those self-improvement efforts come from a place of something's broken or wrong with me too, right? Like I'm not, I'm less than, right? Versus mm-hmm. you're fine, break a rule a little bit and have lighten, lighten up, right? Like you hear that a lot. It's easier said than done, but I think it, it comes from a place of fun comes from a place of you are already enough. Whereas kind of that self-improvement level comes from a place of I'm trying to fix something, anything. Yeah. Right? And I think exploring like what already is good about you and yeah. your life and what can you do to enjoy it more? Why, why constantly be searching for problems? I mean, they actually have a line in my book that's like, we are not problems waiting to be fixed yeah. or lives waiting to be lived. Yeah. And that happens right now. And it is happening right now, you know? Right. So shifting our focus that way, I think can be really helpful. And just giving yourself permission to enjoy your own life. I think that's another point that's important to keep in mind because one of the frequent criticisms of fun as well, that would be nice, but you know, there's a lot of serious problems exactly. and working to improve them. And I completely agree. There are a lot of serious problems, but first we need to fill up our own tanks before we'll have the energy to exactly. do anything else. And then second, again, by bringing us closer with other human beings, fun is the capacity to transcend a lot of the arguments and the the fights that we currently are having and allow us to work cooperatively towards solving these bigger problems. Yeah. So I I thought that was interesting for myself to recognize that like I am a a more effective person, more productive, I'm more creative, I'm more resilient when I'm having fun. And so therefore it's not frivolous at all. It's actually, I would say essential for my mental and my physical health and therefore should be top of my priority list. Yeah. And I mean, whoever's kind of coming to you with that, with, with that um, rebuttal around, like there's serious things in the world. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of like, both have to coexist. Like you just said, like you can't have dark without light. You can't have, you know, yin yang, all, all of that stuff. And so often we like to just put them in, in buckets and throw the one that we don't like in that moment away. Right. So I think it's extremely, you know, helpful what you're putting out in the world today. Like, Thank you. Reminder. (laughs) I think there's a quote from John Cleese that was something like, it's impossible to um, basically have a fight with someone if you're laughing uproariously together. You know, if you can create that connection, you will find other ways to connect. Yes. And if you have, it actually reminds me, there was a book called Humor Seriously, which is a interesting read. And there's anecdotes in that about, it was Madeleine Albright and her Soviet counterpart or Russian counterpart. And they're like in this high diplomacy thing, but there also is a talent show. 
mm-hmm. and they somehow like <laughs> set aside time to figure out how to do this skit that involved I want to say an electric guitar and a performance of rewritten awesome. lyrics to some song yeah. which from the outside might at first seem like why are you wasting your time you're supposed to be doing serious things you're supposed to be okay. solving the world's crisis and it's like wait a second if you do that and you have that ridiculous experience with this person you're seeing them as a human you're having fun together that will help you at the dip- yeah. diplomacy table so yeah. i just think we, we we forget that sometimes the path through the darkness is to emphasize the light Yes. Oh my gosh. Can you just, can you just say that again? The path through the darkness is to what my dear, please emphasize the light. Lean Thank into the light. Bring Thank the light. You. Exactly. Be the light. All of the things Be about the light, the light folks. <laughs> All the light verbs. Actually. And another thing that reminds me of is to seek delight, which is one of my favorite yeah. suggestions, which is inspired by this other book called the book of delights appropriately enough by the poet Ross Gay. And this guy wrote an essay for a whole year every day about something that delighted him. And it inspired me to going back to what you were saying about the idea of mindfulness and a gratitude practice, which is a validated way to boost our moods, but it can feel a little like, all right, I got to list the things I'm grateful for. Exactly. Yeah. So I've started doing this delight practice and just noticing things that delight me in the, like today I was at the dermatologist and there was this like Halloween pumpkin with, this is not, it's not going to sound delightful, but they were little 3d models of the coronavirus, but they were in red and green. And I was like, (laughs) I'm not sure if I'm delighted by this, but there's something kind of delightful, (laughs) but like weird about the fact that we've got like Christmas themed coronavirus. Christmas slash Halloween confused coronavirus yeah. like virus things. I'm like, I'm like the absurdity of that delights me. And anyway, so the practice is that when you notice something that delights you, you put a finger in the air and you say delight out loud. And that actually is a validated technique in positive psychology to boost your mood, to, to notice the positive, call attention to it with a physical gesture and say it out loud. And ideally with someone else. So actually I've got delight text chains going on with some of my friends where we just text each other. I think it's a good use of technology, pictures of things that delight us. Great. I actually have a bracelet on my wrist that says delight on it as a way to remind myself to focus on the delights. But I love that as just a very simple way to bring a bit more positivity and light to your own life. Recognize the good that's already out there. Because you can imagine the effects that the opposite would have, right? If I had an anxiety practice and I was like anxiety or like... (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Depression. Hate. Like, <laughs> what else are we going to I mean, maybe that would be, maybe that would, might spark some interesting conversations if you were calling that as we see it. Um, but are you, right, right. But less fun. Yeah. So yeah. Less fun. fun a little bit more conflict filled, um, yeah. which maybe we need. I don't know. There's a lot of things that we need in this world. But, you know, but I think what you just described here, you know, to kind of, come full circle right now we are in we're in the holiday season folks this episode is coming out and this is the gift you know of fun folks so why not you know take advantage of it so do you have any kind of last points because it is the holidays right you know perfect time also i would think to go back and look at previous holidays and pinpoint some places where there was actual true fun right but any other kind of last last bits that you want to throw in here around the holidays Yes. I, I mean, I think well, one of my slogans for myself is let's make the holidays fun again. <laughs> we didn't get to see our loved ones last year. And... You're going to get hats for that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All brand of merchandise. Exactly. Um, but, you know, so I think we're out of practice of socializing, socializing to begin with and the yes. holidays we didn't get to celebrate with people. So I do have suggestions. I actually have a lot of resources at howtohavefun.com that yes. people can sign up for my newsletter and I'm sending out stuff around this in particular, including conversations, starting things such as a fun compatibility quiz where you can actually print awesome. it out and do it with 
your loved ones around the holiday table as a conversation prompt and something to talk about besides politics or the coronavirus or whatever else yeah. might kind of derail your conversation. Yeah. I say in general, just a couple quick suggestions for making the holidays fun again is that one of the biggest problems when it comes to having fun is distraction. Because anything that distracts us pulls us out of our present moment. But we can only have fun when we're in flow, which requires us to be in the present moment. So any distraction is going to pull us out of flow and therefore prevent us from having true fun and stop. It just can't happen. And one of the biggest impediments to our ability to be in flow right now is our devices. So I think it's very worthwhile to ask your guests and yourself to put away their phones and devices while you're together at the table or even while you're gathering in general um, so that you can be present and then have more opportunities for fun. Then give them an alternative because people have gotten into the habit of using technology to self-soothe and you take that away and they're going to be anxious. So one yeah. thing I actually love doing, and this will sound totally forced, but I promise it actually can work, is to provide people with conversation prompts. So for example, like at holidays, I like to put a question. I mean, there's lots of conversation prompts you can get online, but a question under each person's plate and then go around the table That's during the meal idea. and have people answer that. And it's a wonderful way to bridge or create connections between different generations too. Yeah. Even a question that's kind of ostensibly silly, such as like, what was your go-to outfit when you were a teenager can actually be really interesting and yeah. fun to find out what your grandfather would answer to that question versus yeah. who's currently a teenager. You can also do something like just put a single word under people's plates, like love or gratitude or kindness um, or fun and ask people to reflect on what that word means to them that week or that day. That can be interesting. And then if you've got people who actually don't know each other well, one of my favorite things is to actually do name tags. But in addition to your name, have people answer some simple questions. So for example, at a party I did this fall, I just had people write down their favorite thing about fall under the name. And that was really interesting because it gave yeah. what I consider to be kind of conversational handholds or like grips to grab onto so that you have something to talk about. That's not just, mm -hmm. oh, how do you know the host? Yeah, oh, or the weather. How's the weather? <laughs> And that was kind of fun, you know, like I, one of my, one of my acquaintances had, it was like, his name was Arthur. And then it said fall fashion. And I was like, tell me about fall fashion. Arthur. Exactly. You know? And it was a fun little conversation. So I guess what I'm saying is to try to reduce distractions and then replace those distractions with little props um, that can facilitate connection and therefore are more likely to lead to interactions that at very least will be instances of playfulness, connection, or flow. And in the best case scenario might amount to a combination of all three. Yeah. I mean, I can already feel like that feeling of sitting around the table and everybody laughing collectively. And, you know, that scenario you just described with like a grandfather versus like a granddaughter and just, you know, and how often do we get to do those nowadays? I mean, Zoom is great, but, you know, having people back around a table would be, will be amazing. Well, that's um, the other so, thing. I think also like setting an intention, you know, even a question like what's something that everyone actually, what's a, I call them fun magnets, the activities, settings yeah. and people that typically bring fun, go around the table and talk about what, what those are for each person and then make a like make a commitment around your table that everyone's going to try one of those in the next month or so and then report back. I mean, there's many yeah. different ways to bring this into a conversation that would both make the conversation itself more enjoyable and also potentially jumpstart future fun. Yeah. Yeah. And jumpstart the awkwardness. Cause that is a thing right now. I mean, I found myself at a holiday event this past weekend and I was like, um, I don't know how to talk to people anymore. <laughs> like in real, in IRL, everything. like in real life. <laughs> like, Oh, so yeah. Mm, wow. Pandemic. crazy. You know, like, God, I just want to be back home in my pajamas. Cause this is more painful than not. Yeah, exactly. What is the yeah. antidote? <laughs> Fun is the antidote. I agree. Well, tell people, you know, the date it's coming out so they can pre-order it, where they can find it, all of that good stuff about you, my dear. 
Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. So the book is coming out December 21st. Um, although apparently there's a global paper shortage. So depending on when, when you're listening to this, please pre-order it. It would be enormously yeah. helpful to me. And if you do pre-order it, it will come in time for Christmas um, and can be, I, I truly think a great holiday gift. Cause as yeah, I said, agreed. the second half is all about how to have fun and it's designed to be more fun if you do it with other people. And mm-hmm. you can find out more about the book and more about me at howtohavefun.com and or screenlifebalance.com. So whichever one you remember, We'll get you some similar yeah. information, but I've got all sorts of resources, conversation prompts, quizzes, like fun personality type finder and a quiz that's called why aren't you having fun, um, <laughs> which also can be a fun conversation prompt if you want to do that at the holidays with your loved ones. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, and folks like if you for some reason missed the holiday, that holiday, there's New Year's, right? So when you're setting resolutions or any of that stuff, why not make one of them fun, folks? Come on, like, why not? Oh, actually, I was going to say, I've also decided, I think I was telling you this, I've decided to proclaim February as the least fun month of the year because it's so cold at least in the Northeast and it's dark yeah. and it's short and there's not the holidays to look forward to, but spring isn't there yet. So I'm doing a fun intervention, massive good. fun intervention in February. So if you good. follow me on social media, I will use it as a force for good and sign up for my newsletter, yeah, howtohavefun.com. Um, I'll keep you in the loop and hopefully we'll have a huge group of people around the world committing themselves to making February fun. That's amazing. Well, you know what, Catherine, I just, I'm on board. I'm on board. Count me in for fun. I'm going to write my past things down. I'm going to finish the book and all that stuff. And I'm going to be gifting it to quite a few people this holiday season as well. So, you know, thank you for giving us the gift of fun today, Catherine. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. So much fun. In fact, I know, right? Fun. I mean, what is not to love? about this episode, (laughs) more specifically about Catherine. And I have to say, as somebody who was reading the book, you know, about the book. So if you, if you have a moment, please go order it because it's something that you're not going to regret by any means, because who doesn't need a little bit more fun in their life. Right. And like she said, you know, you have to search it out and it's different than, you know, sometimes what society even tells you what fun is, right. You have to just search it out And I love the fact that she talks about it being the intersection of playfulness, connection, and flow. Those are just such amazing things to keep in mind when you're searching it out this holiday season. And on next week's episode, I am joined by American Ninja Warrior and fantastic human being, Alex Weber. He's going to talk to us all about, he's got a brand new book out about failure, and he's going to talk about how that can really catapult you into a great place, which especially coming off the, you know, the end of the year into a new year, it's a topic that I think is very timely. And many of us could use a little extra oomph and a little extra gift of failure and triumph in our lives. So you don't want to miss it. And if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, follow, rate, and review. And you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.